Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love Ireland and baseball, you're one of us. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Episode 7 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. Later in today's episode, I will be discussing an Irish-American baseball legend who made his mark both in a jersey and a suit. My colleague Jim Ward will go in-depth on an audio clip from Jack Curry, a pregame and postgame analyst for Yankees games on the Yes Network. Right now, I want to welcome our guest, Timothy Flaherty, who will be taking us off of the diamond and onto the hardwood. Thank you for joining us, Tim. How are you doing today? I'm good. Very good. Good to be on with you. So this is obviously the Irish Baseball Podcast, and we talk a lot about baseball, but you have a really deep history in basketball. So let's talk a little bit about that. You played varsity basketball at Amherst College and graduated in 1986, then went on to do something very cool in Ireland. So if you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. When I get out of... uh... When I was graduated from college, I had always wanted to go to Ireland. Um, and uh, obviously, I played basketball my whole life. So it's kind of a dream of mine to go to Ireland and play basketball. And uh, I, I had a contact. He was the former coach of the Irish national team. He set me up in the village of Athai, County Kildare, about an hour outside of Dublin. And uh, I was working with a retired Christian brother by the name of Joseph Quinn. And Brother Quinn is a sort of a legend in some parts of Ireland. He was very involved with Gaelic football. But in the 1950s, he was working at a school in Cork, in the city of Cork. They didn't have any fields. It was a poor parish, a poor school. And he'd heard about this American game that they played in the city called basketball. So he wrote to his, his friends or his uh, brothers, people in his order at Iona College in, in Iona, and obviously in New York. And um, so he wrote to them, and what can you tell me about this ba- this game basketball? So they sent back uh, a whole bunch of uniforms, balls, sneakers, all that kind of stuff. And the very first basketball club in Ireland was in, started by Brother Quinn. It was Iona Basketball Club, named after Iona College. But Brother was retired at that time. And again, I went to Wathai. Uh, at that time, this was the mid-'80s, where unemployment was high in Ireland. The economy was not very good. Uh, the, ta- the the village of Athai, about 5,000 people, but the kids were getting in trouble. And, uh, you know, there was some bad stuff going on. So Brother Quinn felt like, you know, if he could introduce basketball to Athai, it might help get the kids doing something different. So that's what we did. And uh, I worked in all the schools in town, um, worked in, uh, I worked with different groups. Uh, there was an old dance hall in Athai that we turned into a gym, uh, which was quite an experience. But, um, it was, it was quite an experience. It, the fun thing was starting it from scratch. Uh, there were a few kids playing basketball, uh, but we really had to get the thing going. And uh, I know this is the Irish baseball podcast, and I've been sort of monitoring the Irish over the last 10 years, the baseball. And it seems like the same issues. It's a lot about facilities. It's a lot about opportunity. It's a lot about access. And that, that was the big thing that we were trying to do there. Um, you know, for example, there was a basketball hoop in the in the schoolyard of the of the primary school which went through sixth grade but the hoop was 11 feet high and uh <laughs> so first thing i did was lower that hoop to about nine feet high for young kids so uh from there you know we just we just tried to build it and we, we did a lot of different things and 
it, it was a lot of fun. So there's obviously those issues, like you mentioned, with facilities. And this is a big issue when it comes to Irish baseball, because baseball really needs very specialized facilities. But just trying to teach kids a brand new game that they've never played before. How much did you find that the younger generation knew about basketball because of maybe watching it in the United States, watching it from the United States, or were they just coming in blind? For the most part, it was pretty blind. I mean, at that time in the village of Athai, there was RTE1, RTE2, and you'd get some shows on BBC. Um, now there's obviously a lot more ba American basketball being shown in Ireland. At that time, there was not. But you make a good point. I actually saw it as a positive because I had kids who were really good Gaelic football players, really good athletes, um, and I could teach them how to play basketball. They didn't have any bad habits. So what we did was there was – I started – it was sort of an informal league. There was about five schools out in the country. But the best team I had was a group of kids who were foot, Gaelic football players and good ones at a young age, and I got them playing basketball. I actually took that team to Dublin. And we played in a tournament in Dublin, which at the time was unheard of for a team from the country, as they say, uh, to be competing with kids in Dublin. But we, I just used those kids' athleticism, and we played full court, man-to-man -man the whole time. And we really would just, off a of defense, I used their athleticism. But your, your original question, uh, basketball was not that well-known at that time. That was 35 years ago. It's come a long way. But back then, it was really about introducing the game, a lot of dribbling, a lot of passing. A lot of just layups and very basic stuff. You know, we, uh, Brother Quinn, on the schoolyard, there was an old abandoned, uh, sort of an old abandoned schoolhouse or something. It was probably 30 feet by about 50 feet. And Brother Quinn and I turned that into a gym. Brother Quinn labeled it the Meadowlands. So we used to call it the Meadowlands because uh, he had visited New Jersey uh, and, and watched the basketball game at the Meadowlands. So what we did during the school, I mean, this was very basic. The kids their quote-unquote gym period, they would come to the Meadowlands, and I would have dribbling races, all that kind of stuff, just trying to show them the game a little bit. But the good news was they, they didn't have any bad habits. And when I, when, uh, I got older kids to, to start playing, and we would go play in tournaments in the city, um, you know, it, it was like I could sort of mold them because they didn't, again, back, you know, I, I see, I go crazy now watching basketball because all kids that age want to do is shoot a three-pointer. You know, they're not learning the game. so. Uh, we could teach them the game because I, they were they had never played before, so it was quite unique. And if they have a background in Gaelic football, they're probably happy that they're able to bounce the ball more than just once. Yeah, yeah. I used to have some really creative. Uh, my father was a coach, a high school basketball coach for 32 years, so I grew up in the house of a coach. Um, and he actually went over with me for the first two weeks and ran. We ran some clinics together, sort of introductory. But he had a lot of great passing things. And you're right, these Gaelic football kids would love it because, you know, the three-man weave, all that kind of stuff, you know, simple stuff that we think, but they, they would love it. It gave them a lot more freedom than just playing Gaelic football. So then you also did something very interesting in Northern Ireland, the Belfast United program, which brought together Catholic and Protestant youth soccer players and brought them to three-week trips in the United States to play against U.S. teams. Would you talk about that one a little bit for me? Sure. Yeah, I was working um, when I came back. I was in Ireland for a year, uh, 86, 87. When I came back, there was something called the Institute for International Sport that was starting. I went and worked there. Um, and funny enough, I 
you know, the Irish baseball thing, what I did was expanded what I did in the thigh. So we had in about five or six communities, we were sending recent college graduates who played basketball in the United States and did basically what I did in the thigh. And that was trying to get kids playing basketball. Another program we ran was called Belfast United. And that was a cross community relations project. This was the late 1980s when things were very hot in Northern Ireland. Uh, the troubles were, were really at their peak at that time. Um, I worked with a, a professor from the University of Ulster in Jordanstown called Dr. John Sugden. And myself and John Sugden, um, we put it together where um, we, we started. Our first year was a pilot program uh, where we, we just took two kids, two, act, two Catholic kids, two Protestant kids from inner city Belfast, the toughest neighborhoods. Uh, I can still remember going to Ireland and picking them up. And then the four of us driving to, to Shannon and then flying to the United States. And we brought those first four kids over and we got them into camps at the University of Vermont, University of Rhode Island. Um, those coaches were great. And then they played with local. So we just started it with four. At the time, it was a pretty controversial thing. We sort of had to, you know, tap dance around different communities. Now, you know, Tim Flaherty, uh, you know, with red hair shows up at a Protestant house in Northern Ireland. You're taking my kid to the United States. So it was a pretty, pretty, you know, touchy thing at the time. So we started it slow with four. The next year, we had a whole team. And we had eight Protestants, eight Catholic kids, again, from the roughest neighborhoods of Belfast. Uh, John Sugden was a professor. Our coach was Bob Ramsey, who was a well-known youth soccer coach over there. And we came to the United States. Again, we would play. Uh, these kids were very good players. Uh, so we would play older kids. We would actually play some college teams, uh, older kids. Again, we, we spent a week at the University of Vermont at their camp. Uh, we played against the University of Rhode Island. Uh, so. It, it was at the time, it was a pretty controversial thing. But as it turned out, uh, it just got more attention every year. And uh, those kids, were, I think, were impacted. Our whole, our whole attitude at that point, the reason we started was we were talking about a chipping away, a, a, you know, a chipping away process. It's not, you're not going to solve it overnight. But if you can impact four kids, if you can impact eight kids or 16 kids to look a little differently at things, um, and we think it did have merit. And when we found those kids, uh, we found when they got back to Belfast, they went their separate ways, but they still kept in touch and they still got together. And that's before cell phones and, and uh, Facebook and all that stuff. They found ways to get together, which was kind of unheard of in, in Northern Ireland at that time. That was our guest, Timothy Flaherty. We will be joined by Tim again in future weeks on the Irish Baseball Podcast. We will connect his works with basketball and soccer in Ireland with the work of the Irish American Baseball Society and the Baseball United Foundation in bringing baseball to Ireland. Visit irishbaseball.org and baseballunitedfoundation.org for more information. I'm Rick Becker, and I will turn things over to Jim Ward, who's going to go in-depth into some great audio. Thanks, Rick. Right now, we're going to hear from Jack Curry, a pregame and postgame analyst for the Yankees games on the Yes Network. During an interview with the Irish American Baseball Society, Jack was asked about some of the people who influenced him into becoming a sports journalist. Here, he talks about those important figures. Growing up, I was a sports junkie, so I tried to read everyone and everything. So it was the Daily News, it was the, it was the New York Post, but what was kind of interesting is I grew up in Jersey City. The Jersey Journal used to carry 
the syndicated column of Jim Murray, who is a Los Angeles-based writer. And he covered the Olympics. He covered the Super Bowl. He covered the World Series. But as a kid, I just thought Jim Murray was this guy from Jersey City who they were sending to all these wonderful places. So Jim Murray, who I, I later met in a press box many, many years later, was a phenomenal writer. And as a young kid, I unwittingly started to want to become Jim Murray because I thought, they're sending this guy from Jersey City to all these famous places. That's who I want to be. So that was probably the, the first sports writer that I, I really tried to emulate and thought I could be like him. As far as announcers go, at, at a young age, whether it was uh, Phil Rizzuto, Bill Messer, or listening to Met Games with Bob Murphy and Lindsey Nelson, uh, I ended up going to Fordham, so I've always been a Vin Scully fan. And if you're asking me who I listen to now, of course I'm going to say all of my colleagues from the Yes Network. Those are my, my favorite announcers. But I will say this. I was watching The Last Dance, which I'm sure a lot of people listening right now watched it. Man, you forget, because he hasn't done it in a while, Bob Costas was a great NBA play-by-play guy, too. I mean, I always see him as a baseball guy and an Olympics host, but Bob Costas was great. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention two gentlemen who were really instrumental in my career. That's Malcolm Moran from the New York Times and Dave Anderson from the New York Times. I met both of them when I was at Fordham. And I always tell aspiring journalists now, if you make a connection with someone, it's up to you to, to continue that connection and latch on to those guys. I, Malcolm went to Fordham, so that was an easier connection. But Dave Anderson just came to speak to our journalism class once. And I was able to, when I graduated from Fordham, put both of those guys down on my resume as references and I have to believe that had something to do with why I one day ended up getting an interview at the New York Times oh wait this this kid's 22 and he's got two of our writers down as references maybe we should bring him in for an interview so that's kind of a long winding rambling answer but it was a it was a pretty open-ended question but those are some of the people that were meaningful to me that was Jack Curry with the Irish American Baseball Society talking about people who influenced him to becoming a sports journalist and what he learns from those guys. And uh, as a broadcaster myself for now 22 years covering college athletics and high school athletics locally here in Maine, I can kind of relate to what he's talking about when you work with guys that have been in the game, uh, experts. I mean, I learn from coaches all the time when I'm talking to coaches before games, after games. And to hear even players and former players, how they see things like, you know, these guys, like he pointed out with Flaherty pointing out uh, early in the, in a game that a guy was not going to be on his game. You know, these players can figure that out because they've been in there. They've been in it for so long and it's second nature. And for, and for me, Colin hockey, a guy who never played hockey, but was a huge fan of it. I learned from, from my former players, my current players and my coaches and other coaches all the time and pick up little things. I, I also watch a lot of um, broadcasts, uh, both baseball and hockey and such, and I listen to really good analysts. And, of course, when you learn, can learn from the best, it makes you better. So that's how, that's my relation to what Jack is doing, and, and he does a great job on the Yes Network and certainly the Yankee games. That's a premier job, and uh, he, you're great for, he's great for doing it for all these years, and I can relate to a being a long-term broadcaster myself. Catch the complete interview with Jack Curry of the Yes Network. Head on over to our website at irishbaseball.org. Let's turn things back over to Rick Becker, who's going to take a look at some Irish-American baseball history. I'm Jim Ward, and this is the Irish Baseball Podcast. Hi, I'm Rick. 
Greg Becker, and today I'd like to introduce you to an Irish baseball legend named Connie Mack. Connie Mack was born Cornelius McGillicuddy on December 22, 1862, to Irish immigrant parents Michael and Mary McGillicuddy. Mack was considered one of the top catchers of his day. He was one of the first catchers to popularize blocking home plate. Mack also made a name for himself by catching foul tips. Back then, a caught foul tip was an out regardless of the count. Mack was so good at catching foul tips that they had to change the rules. Today, a caught foul tip is only an out if there are two strikes on the batter. That's because of Connie Mack. Connie Mack was also a master at the art of deception. He could mimic the sound of a foul tip so well that he could alter at-bats and even games with the sound of his voice. He also perfected the art of tipping bats by touching the bat with his glove, causing the batter to miss the ball entirely. But Connie Mack made his mark as a major league manager. Under his guidance, the Philadelphia Athletics won nine American League pennants and five World Series titles. Connie Mack was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1937 while he was still managing. He retired in 1950 at the age of 87. He is the all-time leader with 3,731 victories. His tenure with the Athletics lasted 50 years, the most by any manager or coach in any professional sport in North America. For more information on Irish baseball legends like Connie Mack, visit the Irish American Baseball Society at irishbaseball.org. That was my fellow host on the Irish Baseball Podcast, Rick Becker. Thank you for joining us for Episode 7 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. For Rick Becker and his guest today, Tim Flaherty, I'm Jim Ward, and this has been the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.